Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. And we're very glad you have joined us for the Three Martini Lunch today. We're brought to you by Plexiderm. Go to triplexiderm.com and use our promo code MARTINI for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. Much more on that later in the podcast. And Jim, I'm sad to report that uh, we don't have another dead ISIS leader to talk about today, but we do have all good martinis, so hopefully that's a nice consolation prize. You know, we were kind of joking around about how... um, uh, ISIS, we're making political analogies and even some sports analogies. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Jets' offensive line yesterday. Uh, ISIS holding a press conference today, and a lot of people think it's to announce the new leader. So uh, once again, we're setting the trend here, and, and uh, ISIS acting Adam like Gase. a— Adam Gase. Adam Gase. Pick Adam Gase. Pick Adam Gase. <laughs> I know you want to punish Adam Gase, but I'm not sure you're that mad at him. But then again, maybe you are. I don't know. It's just how the effect he would have on uh, ISIS. You know, week after week, he'd come out and say— well, we just didn't get it done again. Um, we had a really good week of practices. We really thought our attacks were going to work. And, um, you know, we just need to get back to the basics, you know, back to the drawing board. <laughs> All those kind of excuses that I'm getting tired of hearing in the football realm, I really wouldn't mind hearing in the terrorism realm. Yes, yes. Constant failure in the terrorism realm is a good thing. Um, and so is killing them a lot. So we'll see what happens with that story um, later in the week and, and beyond. Uh, Jim, it's odd that. Barack Obama is one of our good martinis today. In fact, it's uh, almost uh, appropriate, though, because I'm pretty sure the last time he was our good martini was when bin Laden got killed. So it's been about eight and a half years. He's obviously not president anymore. Uh, He was at an event for the Obama Foundation, which I didn't even know existed. And I'm not exactly sure what the question was, but he started talking about woke culture and how trying to outwoke everyone is not good for anybody. But I do get a sense sometimes now among certain young people, and this is accelerated by social media, there is this sense sometimes of the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people. And that's enough. Like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself. Because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. <laughs> that's not activism. That, that's not bringing about change. So, Jim, I'm sure there's a lot of conservative listeners today who are like, well, he didn't really act like that when he was president. This is the guy who said that the Cambridge police acted stupidly, that people who didn't support the Iran deal were making common cause with the Ayatollahs. He was the, the king of the straw man, so he was the only one with the reasonable position. And if anybody disagreed with them, they were the radicals. So a lot of that's true, of course. But what he said here is true, and hopefully a lot of people listen to it. You know, Greg, Obama has made comments along these lines a couple times since he left the presidency. I think this is the most explicit he's ever gotten. I think the first time he's ever referred to woke culture. Um, And I think probably the first time I've I've heard him kind of like really mock these people for being uh, ineffective and in a little bit, you know, both intellectually lazy. He's talking about the importance of engaging with people who disagree with you, how you can't wall yourself off in the past. Greg, I want to go to Time Machine. I want to go back to, like, say, 2009, 2010. And I want to say that four of the figures who are most adamant in their opposition to PC culture, politically correct culture, speech restrictions, et cetera, um, and who are most adamant, be most adamant that they will not be silenced by this would be Barack Obama, Chris Rock, 
Dave Chappelle and Kanye West. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's because these were, you know, circa, you know, in our younger years, these, you know, coolness defined was, you know, not just these comedians and performers, but also President Obama. Um, and you could argue, you know, I don't know how you would, whether you would characterize it as just they got old um, or whether the next generation coming up behind them got even more woke or even more closed minded or more even more um, addicted to social media outrage. Uh, but it's kind of fascinating to see the, uh, the Democrats and even, you know, people who I think you characterize as progressives from our younger years looking at what they're seeing from these social justice warriors and saying, OK, look, not only is this not what we were fighting for and this is not who we want to pass the torch to you guys aren't even appreciating um what we you know what we were trying to build what our goals were so look it's not often we applaud president obama but you know hey look it's good to hear this if anybody on that side has the stature to get people to possibly rethink things he might be it by the way i can't help but get the feeling that this is that this is an undercurrent here that comes with this democratic presidential primary going on and the not so subtle criticism of Obama-era policies and the, you know, numerous criticisms that Biden um, and, and, you know, ultimately the Obama administration was a disappointment to many progressives. Um, I think, you know, Obama takes a little bit of offense at that and it's not going to come out directly. He said he doesn't want to take sides in this primary. Um, But maybe as me, I I see that as a subtext in these uh, these comments here. Could be. Uh, That's an interesting take. I was actually thinking that uh, it was kind of like the Rahm Emanuel situation from earlier in the week where he thinks people being overly woke and uh, trying to outleft each other is going to make Democrats in general look ridiculous and extreme, and that's going to hurt them at the ballot box. But uh, defending his own legacy sounds more uh, in character for Barack Obama, so there might be a little bit of both, but uh, I definitely see where you're coming from there. All right. Let's talk about Plexiderm. You know, Obama looks pretty relaxed, looks pretty happy uh, in his retirement years. It seems like he's enjoying it. But uh, even he is not immune from aging and neither are the rest of us. And so that means wrinkles, crow's feet, those large under eye bags. Uh, So just take a quick look in the mirror and and see where uh, you are in that situation. Now imagine if you have any of those things that they're gone. And we're not talking about risky, expensive surgery here. We're talking about these wrinkles, crow's feet, bags gone in minutes. How? Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and the bags under the eyes in minutes. It's the edge you've been looking for. Are you skeptical? Do you not believe it? Just wait until you see the results. If you want to look 10 years younger, Plexiderm can make you look rejuvenated. And simply put, you will be blown away by the results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you need to be yourself, whether it's at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so no one will know that you're using it. All you have to do is go to TryPlexiderm.com, and when you use the promo code MARTINI, you get 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning, again, the promo code MARTINI. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use the code MARTINI at checkout. Again, that's TryPlexiderm.com. All right, Jim, let's move on to Good Martini number two. And as you point out in the morning jolt today, Kim Kardashian deserves some credit for this because uh, she has been pushing for a congressional resolution blaming Turkey for the Armenian genocide. And this obviously goes back now 
over 100 years. Uh, the vote was lopsided, 405 to 11. Uh, this is something that the U.S. government had held off doing for decades and decades because they didn't want to uh, damage relations with Turkey, and they figured uh, dredging up a largely symbolic but still important resolution at a time when there are major geopolitical things to to collaborate on wasn't a very good idea. But now that things are clearly souring with Turkey, it's come back forward again. And once again, the vote 405 to 11. Interestingly, Ilhan Omar uh, did not vote for this. I believe she voted present because she said it didn't also address the uh, African slave trade to North America or the persecution of Native Americans. And she claims that uh, those two groups were killed to the tune of hundreds of millions uh, over the years. I'm not sure where she's getting that number from. Uh, But Jim, uh, this genocide is clearly a part of history as much as Turkey tries to deny it. And uh, calling them on the carpet is probably long overdue here. Yeah, after that Omar statement, Greg, I never want to hear about whataboutism from anybody ever again. <laughs> right. um, so the first thing is, is that if you're wondering, hey, you know, is this what was there an Armenian genocide? Yes, there was. I can say this on the Three Martini Lunch podcast because we're taped here in the good old United States of America. Um, listeners may know I lived for Turkey in two year for two years, a little more than that, 2005, 2007. Um, There was never any risk that they were going to come after me for what I wrote, but in every bit of the English language Turkish press that I could encounter, it was always referred to as the so-called Armenian genocide. Because if you talked about or wrote about the Armenian genocide in Turkish media, you could be charged with a crime. That is how seriously the Turks take it. So if you look back to my writing back at that time period, this is back when the Iraq war is going on. Um, We are still very much in the fight against Al-Qaeda. And there was a sense that this was not... Um, the right time to to bring up this issue. By the way, for anyone wondering, was there an Armenian genocide? Yes. Uh, the Turkish argument has always been like, well, it was just a big, messy ethnic war that ended up being one-sided. No, no, that's that's genocide. But the question was, was this, you know, we, we would not feel particularly pleased if the Turkish parliament passed a resolution denouncing the treatment of Native Americans. So did we want to stick them in the eye, so to speak, with something like this at a time when we still needed Indralik Air Base uh, for operations in Iraq, they were not allowing us to use a as a military uh, uh, for military attacks, but they're still allowing it for use of resupply missions and things like that. We needed Turkish intelligence cooperation in, like I said, the fight against Al Qaeda and other Islamist groups. Um, you know, at that point uh, with Erdogan, this is not he was not the guy the U.S. government ever would have chosen, but the sense was, well, this is a guy we can still do business with. Uh, that started to change year by year. The Turkey, U.S.-Turkish relationship changed as they became Erdogan became more explicitly Islamist and they became less cooperative. And I went back and I checked. And thankfully, around 2010, I was like, you know what? This is, you know, at some point it starts becoming okay to pass this resolution because if Turkey is free to make their own decisions, but part of their own decisions will be, uh, we will be less cooperative on things that are a priority to, priority to them. And it was a priority to them to not pass this resolution. It's very much wrapped up in national pride and all that stuff. Uh, Armenian Americans, for obvious reasons, wanted this very badly. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was a big supporter of this. Uh, Adam Schiff was a big supporter of this. And for a long time, there were enough Republicans who said, look, I'm not, we're not disputing the historical facts. This just isn't the right fight to pick. That times change. Things change. One big change is the Turks have started bombing the bejesus out of our uh, former allies in the fight against ISIS and the Kurds over in northern Syria. And the other big change is Kim Kardashian. And people think I'm saying this joking or go, no, she's very adamant about this. Her father was an Armenian American and she's you know, tweeted about this, pushed for this. 
reached out to Jared Kushner about this. People may recall she had a big hand in the criminal justice reform. Look, when you're a celebrity, you can command a lot of eyeballs. You can push a lot of people to get active in social media about this. And we're at a point where just the calculus changed. It makes sense to say to Turkey, look, if you're not cooperating for us on anything, you've decided to start attacking our allies um, and, you know, force us to uh, get our guys out before your guys start, you know, storming across the border. Fine. We're going to pass this. Like we, we, we chose not to pass this all these years as a favor to you guys to stay on good terms. You guys don't play nice with us. We're not going to play nice with you. And, you know, also we, you know, kneel before the awesome power of Kim Kardashian. Jim, looking at the CNN version of this story, uh, they point out that uh, by the best estimates, it's about 1.5, 1.6 million Armenians killed in the genocide back around 100 years ago, a little more than that now. Uh, Turkey, it says, and and you alluded to this, but just the verbiage of this just makes your skin crawl. Turkey maintains to this day that the killings did not constitute genocide and disputes the death toll, putting the figure closer to 300,000. So, you know, Jim, just 300,000 people. Only 300,000. A mere 300,000. All right, let's talk about our third good martini now. And if you've been following some of the the media reports about the overall outlook for the Senate in 2020, you know there's a little bit of hand-wringing going on with the Republicans hoping to hang on to their majority. We've talked about Cory Gardner's uh, tough re-election fight. Uh, Joni Ernst has probably got a pretty tough one in uh, Iowa. Uh, There's also Susan Collins in Maine, mostly because of her support for Brett Kavanaugh. But Maine overall is still a left-leaning state, even though uh, one of its congressional districts went for President Trump in 2016. So uh, she's considered to be endangered. But now the likely opponent of Senator Collins is facing some issues as well. Free Beacon uh, talking about how the main House Speaker, her name is Sarah Gideon, used a corporate-funded PAC to reimburse herself for political donations. And so while the Ethics Committee up there is deliberating, Republican campaign officials are touring Maine with a mobile billboard highlighting the allegations against Gideon. Good luck defending your scheme to launder your PAC's corporate money into federal elections, the billboard says. And Republicans in the legislature have uh, filed an ethics report against Gideon over this. So, uh, Jim, I'm not sure good luck defending your scheme to launder your PAC's corporate money into federal elections is the greatest bumper sticker ever created. (laughs) But, uh, hey, Susan Collins looks like she needs a little bit of help, and this might be a little bit of help. It's a little wordy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's a crook. Might might be, might be a little bit quicker or easier there. Yeah, I mean, look. First of all, you, you mentioned the hand wringing. Look, this is not a great political environment for Republicans. Um, I, I, this is, you know, it, it could change between now and November, but I think it's safe to say that uh, Donald Trump is a, you know, he's going to bring you some votes in those blue collar, uh, rural and and exurban communities, but he's also going to hurt you in those suburban communities, and that's traditionally been where you know senators like Susan Collins and before her Olympia Snow. They could win a lot of folks who didn't usually vote for Republicans because they were different from it. In an era of kind of heightened polarization and partisanship, you're, you know, it's going to be tougher to win over those folks. Now, that having been said, Susan Collins' political obituary has been written a lot of times. And I went back, I think one of the things that struck me the most was 2008, she's running for re-election. Uh, Obama's on top of the ticket. He won Maine by some ungodly margin. And Collins still won re-election comfortably. And that kind of indicates, okay, there, there are circumstances where even a big presidential wave going against the Republicans in a big way uh, is not necessarily enough to knock her off. So that's the good news. Um, obviously, in a situation like this, you want as flawed a Democratic nominee as possible. 
And now Collins has something to work with. Now the main Republican Party has something to work with. Um, I, I strongly suspect between now and November 2020, you'll see some argument from Susan Collins. Like, you know, regardless of what you think about Kavanaugh, I've always played straight with you. I always tell you exactly what, what I believe and why I believe. And whether you agree with me or not, you have, you know, I hope you respect the fact that I've always leveled with you about what I believe and why. And Bush won over a whole bunch of votes in uh, against John Kerry in 2004. This attitude of, you know, you may not always agree with me, but you always know where I stand. Uh, and that can be an effective message. There were a bunch of people who kind of appreciated that aspect of Bush. And I think you could say about you know, when Collins made her decision about Kavanaugh, uh, she did not try to slip it in at the last second in the middle of the night. She went and talked on the floor of the Senate for about 45 minutes, going through all the allegations and why she didn't believe them. And it was, you know, it, it, to me, it's what a senator is supposed to do. Hopefully the uh, uh, voters in Maine will concur, but even not, they'll have to recognize that the uh, Democratic alternative is uh, got a serious, at least one glaringly serious flaw there. Here's a part of the story you got to love, Jim. A Gideon spokesperson acknowledged the reimbursements from the PAC to the to the candidate um, in August, but said they were the result of incorrect guidance from an advisor. So is this the main version of low-level employees in Cincinnati? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a phrase that I always figured should catch on more, low-level employees in Cincinnati. Um, and I just wanted that to be the universal, you know, we're, we're throwing some underling under the bus situation that uh, as it appears we're seeing here again in Maine. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, the buck never stops at the top anymore, Greg. I guess not. And Jim, we don't talk about baseball a lot on this podcast, but as I'm sure most folks know, it's Game 7 of the World Series tonight, and the uh, Washington Nationals forced that Game 7 with a win on uh, Tuesday night. And so it's winner-take-all tonight between Houston and Washington. And as much as uh, the president got booed the other night at uh, Nationals Park, you know, until a couple of years ago, Washington had the biggest drought of the big four major sports teams. And if the Nats pull it off tonight, Trump will be president for two major championships, the Caps and the Nats, in back-to-back years. And if you count the Mystics, that's three because they won it also this year for the WNBA. So uh, Washington has to be pretty happy with how the sports teams have done, except for the yeah, Redskins. I mean, all the all Trump, Trump, Trump needs is for the Washington Wizards to go out and win a championship, <laughs> Greg. And then all of the te- all, all the local major sports teams will have won a championship. Except- not, there's not any other one, right? <laughs> no, no team out in Raljon, Maryland. Named, named after, by the way, the... Uh, the the sun because it, it was there was nothing out there and so they uh, they they named it after was it Ralph and John or something it was, it was the so. two names of, of Jack Kent Cook the old owner of the Redskins and uh, it was Tony Kornheiser who read who wrote thank goodness because the names of his sons weren't Peter and Ennis I'll let you do that in your head um, but the <laughs> but yeah so you know t- t- tough luck on you Redskins um, I, I guess I have a nominal preference for the Nationals tonight I think it's been a very exciting World Series really weird to see the road team winning every single game right um you know I, I like to be around other happy sports fans so i'll bring for that but you know it is something of a win-win greg because if you know if the astros win tonight you know at least kate upton is happy <laughs> finally something in her life will go right that's right <laughs> <laughs> uh that note we will reconvene tomorrow on halloween jim see you then see you tomorrow greg Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Don't forget to check out Plexiderm. It's triplexiderm.com. Use the promo code MARTINI for 50% off plus an additional $10. And join us again Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.